Uh, yeah, my name is Adam, and I am, in fact, a lead pastor of Aletheia Church across the river. Um, and uh, I've been, um, been a fan of Realities, actually, for a while. Uh, I was a friend of Al's, and I really love Rashad. You guys have, um, you guys have had and still have some amazing leaders who have built into the foundation and are continuing construction on this house. And so I don't know how you're walking in here today. Maybe this is the first time uh, you've been to church in a while or first time at Reality. And maybe you've been here for a really long time. But I want you to know that um, as a man who's sold it all to lead a church in a place that he's not from, just like your first pastor and just like your current pastor, I have enormous respect for him enormous respect for what God is doing in this house, and so I hope that you got some faith about you today. Now, today we are in a teaching series. You've been in this teaching series uh, for a while in the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. I am a nerd, particularly a New Testament nerd. I'm so nerdy. I'm wearing the, the polo shirt of the seminary I teach. I'm that nerdy, okay? And so I just nerded all out, and so we're going to be here for three and a half hours. We're not going to um, Today, one of the interesting things about the teaching out of the book of Acts particularly is that Luke writes with hyperlinks everywhere, okay? So when he's writing the first part of the book, Luke, and then he's writing Acts, he's doing things that are super, super intentional, and I have time to talk about almost none of them, but I hope what happens this evening is not only that the Holy Spirit speaks to you, but that you fall in love with the text of Scripture, and you go digging around in it yourself, okay? I know we've already prayed, but it is my habit to pray again, so would you indulge me? Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you that you promise in the Word that when your word is faithfully proclaimed, you will, in fact, come and supervise it and superintend it and make it do things that words don't do by themselves. And so, Father, I pray that you would do something with these words of mine and the ears of them and the hearts of them so that we don't just have an educational experience today, but we have a transformational encounter with the living God. That's what I'm asking you to do and nothing less, King Jesus. Amen. So we find ourselves in uh, the book of Acts in a part of the story where things suddenly aren't going great. Acts 1 is awesome. Acts 2 is awesome-er. Acts 3 is getting really exciting, and uh, like things are going awesome. I mean, I, I have never seen 3,000 people get radically changed by the gospel all in one day. That would have made baptism an administrative nightmare. Like, I look forward to ever having that problem, but it, that's a really awesome start. And then things started to get not so awesome. So the thing that just happened previous to this is the stoning of Stephen. And now Saul is angry. And Saul was not the kind of dude you wanted to get angry. You haven't really been introduced to Saul by Luke just yet, but you're going to find out that my man is, is mad and he's got power. And so when you are religiously zealous and you have power and he's super educated, like this is a trifecta of problems that the church is really, really not going to do well under. But praise God, there's something more going on than just degrees and power in the advance of the gospel. And so here, we find out first that Saul is just, he's ravaging, he's started, and he's sawing the heck out of his first career, and just really, really, really doing some terrible stuff. And he's supervising murder. And so with that as the background, we get Philip wandering into Samaria. Now, this is the most unlikely thing ever to happen ever, because Philip was a Jew, and Jews don't go to Samaria, and there's no modern equivalent to highlight just how unlikely this is. I mean, this is, this is more unlikely than, like, peace in, is between Israel and Palestine. This is more unlikely than, like, 
you know, a Ku Klux Klan member suddenly starting to fight for black lives. That, it, it's, it's, that times about 100 because they had hated each other for racial and religious and national and political reasons for a thousand years. Like a thousand, that's not an exaggeration, like a literal thousand years. Jews viewed the Samaritans as half-breeds, as mutts. That was the former northern king, kingdom of Israel, and under the reign of, of Jeroboam and Rehoboam, when the, when the kingdom split, they began to worship a completely different version of the uh, ancient Jewish scriptures, and he just started freestyling. He was like, hey, you know how God was like that down there? New plan. Here's a bull. That's Yahweh. Uh, and the tent's down there. We're going to get a new tent, and he just like, you know, copy-pasted most of Jewish religion, and then it got worse. They were invaded, and then they were destroyed, and then they were repopulated. And so at this time, they are not friends. They'd colluded with the destruction of Judah, and they were hoping for their own Messiah to come from Samaria first so that they could squash the Jews. Are you feeling how unlikely it is that Philip should be wandering around in Samaria? But he does. Why does he do that? He does that because in order to advance the mission of Jesus, you have to have the heart of Jesus. Like, if you don't hear me say anything else tonight, I want you to hear me say this. In order to advance the mission of Jesus, you have to have his heart. And what's crazy to me is that, like, approximately 12 pages after Jesus is raised, Philip's like, you know what I should do? Cross ethnic, political, and nationalistic boundary lines that are really, really, really difficult to cross. Why? Because... As part of the mission of Jesus, he had the heart of Jesus. It, isn't this amazing? Like there wasn't a seminar. He didn't have to go to seminary. There were no books that he read. It was the plain, obvious next thing to do because he'd been transformed by the love of Christ. That's awesome. That means there's hope for all of us. <laughs> like that's, that's amazing. So he goes into Samaria, and he goes there presumably for the mission of Jesus. Okay, let's pause. What is that? Because there are lots of people who want to put Jesus on the logo of their thing, right? Did any of you remember the, uh, that Netflix documentary that came out, Food, Inc.? Okay, did any of you suddenly get twice as expensive of a monthly grocery bill after you watched Food, Inc.? <laughs> you didn't? Okay, well, we did because my wife watched that when we're only eating organic everything from now on forever. And I was like, and now we're poor. Like, that's what happens. Um, and so... What, what we learn there is, uh, you know, not everything that says it's food is actually food, right? You gotta turn around and if it sounds like a chemistry experiment, like maybe don't, you know, pass along, right? Well, not everything that's labeled the mission of Jesus is the mission of Jesus. Not everything that's labeled good or right or true or beautiful or just is any of those things. Say that. And so this thing that he's doing is a gospel proclamation thing first accompanied by a spirit-empowered thing. Do you hear that right down here in downtown Boston? Like, we think, oh, the mission of Jesus is to be nice and to talk a lot of air in your breath. I actually think being nice is a sin. I don't know the Greek word for nice. I know the Greek words for good and kind and compassionate and loving. Those are good words. But the idea that we are just supposed to be sort of like the milk toast sprinkling of niceness onto society's initiatives or whatever, that's not the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus here is to take the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, 
died a substitutionary, atoning, justifying death in our place for our sins, and then arose three days later, conquering Satan, sin, death, demons, hell, the grave, and all their works and effects. That was the news he was carrying in his spirit. So he goes, and immediately, amazing things begin to happen. It's very encouraging to know that when you and I step out in faith, God is there. Like, I mean, Philip's human, right? And he's seen some awesome stuff. He was just at Pentecost, so he's like on that high. Like, this is awesome. But you've got to know, like, at some point, even other people that were there at Pentecost were like, going where? Like, Samaria. And he's like, yeah, you want to go with me? They're like, we do not. Thank you. No, they do not like us there. But he went. And he went because he had the heart of Jesus. And when he goes, what, what happens? Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. You, my friend, are bearers of the word and spirit of God and have every capacity to bring joy to the city. Philip was a normal human being. We don't know a ton about him. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't like on the inside crowd of everything Jesus did. He's just a good, good guy, good church guy, good volunteer, leading stuff. And he shows up and he's preaching like he saw Jesus preach with the power of the Holy Spirit that had just descended upon him. And then the things that Jesus did, he was able to do. Now that's hard for us to believe. That sounds like, oh, that's just mythological. You know, maybe it started out like a story this big, but like a fish tale just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the only problem with that is everything archaeological and all of the textual history of the Bible. Nothing of the sort happened. The man walked and told people about Jesus. He cast demons out of people. He laid hands on them and they got better. And all of a sudden they were like, okay, this is better than what this dude Simon's on. And so immediately we get this other cap. Now, one of the things that Luke is doing as he's writing this is he's giving you a comparison between Philip and then the next guy you're going to see, Simon. And there's some really interesting textual parallels that I'll show you. So we get Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God. That is called great. Okay, there are at least half of the New Testament scholars that I've ever read think that what Simon's actually doing is setting himself up as Samaritan Jesus. Like, this is the power of God. This is the incarnated power of God. He's great. He's working miracles. Everyone's paying attention to him. He's basically using power to build something that Jesus used love to build. Now keep that contrast in your mind. So he comes and he starts boasting about himself. And, and it was working, but when they believed, verse 12, Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, this is pretty, this is pretty fantastic because Simon starts out as a guy who's manipulating things, manipulating people, and manipulating power in order to get fame. Philip shows up, he has no interest in being famous, and instead of manipulating them, he gives them something that gives them joy. Do you see the contrast? 
Simon shows up and he demands attention. Philip invited their repentance. Simon boasted of himself. Philip boasted in Christ. There's a very important distinction because, as I said, not everything that's labeled the mission of Jesus is actually the mission of Jesus. It's really tempting, I'll just tell you, as a church planner and a pastor who's done this his whole life, it's really tempting to use the manipulative stuff to get more people in a building and more dollars in the budget and make you feel like, oh, we're doing something for the Lord. It's very tempting. And what I love here is that we're reminded it doesn't work. That's good. I mean, it works until it doesn't work, you know? It looks like it works, but you gotta know success and fruit are not the same thing. They overlap, you know, like when the Venn diagrams, you can have both, but they don't necessarily mean each other. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so Philip comes, and he's doing this, and people are getting saved, and there's a revival. There's like a Pentecostal revival happening, and so he sends, and he tells the apostles, hey guys, this is some amazing stuff. And so the big dogs come, Peter and John. Now, this is a really, really interesting thing, because John wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans in Luke 9. Uh, I'm sorry. He wanted to burn the country of Samaria, and he thought, with Jesus around, this was an option. He actually said, Lord, shall we at this time call down fire upon these Samaritans? <laughs> now, I, I love discipling young men because they're crazy and dumb. Um, and you got to have a little about crazy and dumb faith because my man thought that was going to happen. And Jesus doesn't say, no, that doesn't happen. Jesus says, no. Uh, <laughs> he just redirects that passion, which I really like. And so John is actually going now to the place that he will curse at some point. So the work of the Spirit has happened in John's heart. So John and Peter go. And they're, they're going because they've heard, okay, they've, they've been baptized into the name of Jesus, but they haven't had their had hands laid on them and received the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a very interesting discussion that we'll talk about in the end, so hold up. But that's why they come. And so they're coming, they're showing up, and, and they're laying hands on people, and, and the people who have repented and believed in Jesus have now received an empowering kind of thing from the Holy Spirit. Acts isn't real clear at this point. There's just some Holy Ghost stuff happening. If any of you grew up in a Pentecostal church or a charismatic church or near people who did, you know what it means to just hear that there's some Holy Ghost stuff happening. Yeah. Like this. this is about as theologically accurate as that can get. That. But it's good. So that stuff starts happening, and Simon is like, bingo, power. See, Simon had had an experience with Jesus. He'd had a weepy moment at an altar. He'd had an emotionally charged event, but he hadn't had a heart like Jesus yet. He shows up to Simon, and John, and he assumes that because they have the power of God upon them, that they are like him. And what they reveal is, no, 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 you can't buy. You can't buy Jesus. And, and Peter lets him have it. He says, I hope your money dies with you. I mean, and he scared him so much that Simon didn't just pray for himself. He was like, listen, I, it won't work if I pray. You pray for me. He was terrified. Now, to our modern ears, we're like, well, rough, you know, wasn't very empathetic, wasn't like, oh, I understand, he didn't do any reflective listening, he was like, burn with your money, like, that's, it's a little rough, 
Okay, we don't teach that in the seminary often. Why was he so hard on them? Here's why. Because this exchange gets to the heart of what it means to be a follower of Christ. If in any way, any way, we allow the idea in our minds and our hearts to grow that we can work or buy or somehow acquire grace, then it ceases at that moment to be grace. And our hearts cease at that moment to be like Christ's and they become like Simon's. You can't build the kingdom of God with the bricks of Babylon. You can't advance the mission of God with the heart of someone who wants something else. So Simon didn't, couldn't advance the mission because he didn't have the heart of Jesus. Philip did advance the mission. Why? Because he did, in fact, have the heart of Jesus. And so when Peter and when John show up, they, of course, also have the heart and the care of Jesus, and they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. So what happens? Some amazing things happen. But listen, when the Word of God and the power of God come crashing into your desire and my desire for power and fame and wealth and all of that, only one of them wins. And the choice is up to you. To me. So what was Simon's response? Actually, I don't love it. It terrifies me. Peter says, Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Okay. Gall of bitterness. That, that is the Greek word for bile. That is, the, that is the liquid your liver makes. It's gross. And the bond of iniquity, it's literally fetters or chains of sin. So he's saying, you're, you are in the bile of bitterness. Why, why would Simon be bitter? Why would Simon be bitter? I mean, he just had a wonderful religious enterprise growing, and then some random Jew who he definitely hates shows up and says something about some other random Jew that he doesn't know anything about, steals his whole ministry, steals his whole sideshow, and then has power that he can't buy. Why do you think he was bitter? Have you ever gotten bitter? If you're not nodding your head, you're lying in church, which is like twice as bad. The Bible says we must be careful not to let a root of bitterness grow up in our hearts because it will defile many things. Yeah. You can see, dude, your heart, you're, you're manipulating religious stuff, but you're actually bitter. You're actually chained to your desire for power and you don't have the heart of Christ. Friends, I, let me just warn you. There's like some top shelf stuff that'll take you right out, you know. It's like the obvious sins. Like your pastor, it's like stealing the money, being sexually unfaithful, like that sort of stuff. But then there's like this other stuff that's not as obvious and takes longer to work and ends up being sometimes way worse. And bitterness and bondage to your own image, oh, that's really bad. It's really, really, and it's not just really bad for us pastors, it's really bad for all of us. And so... If we're going to advance the mission of Jesus, we have to have the heart of Jesus, which means we've got to ask ourselves, how are we going to respond? The story doesn't tell you how Simon responds. No, no. It doesn't say, and he repented, and they lived happily ever after, or they kicked him out of the church. It just says, like, he was emotional again, and someone was preaching pretty hard. 
anyway, uh, <laughs> Peter and John carried on and they finished the mission. That's how the passage ends. Why would Luke do that? I mean, you know the Bible is like written by the Holy Spirit, but through humans, just like Jesus is fully God and fully human. So that the Bible is a fully human and fully divine book. Why would Luke do that? Maybe he did it so that the reader would be forced to ask the question, whoa, whoa, whoa. I see way too much of myself in Simon than I do in Philip. And go, okay, do I have the heart of Jesus? Does that make sense? Because if we're going to advance the mission of Jesus, what are we going to have? We have to have the heart of Jesus. And so the invitation or the, the idea that I want to share with you simply is if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to simply ask the Holy Spirit as we respond in worship, okay, what is my heart like? And then don't only ask the Holy Spirit. Ask someone who loves Jesus and knows you well. Like Christianity is not a single player sport. It, will, it won't work, because you'll think you're awesome at it. <laughs> uh, you're not. Do that. Ask the Holy Spirit, what is my heart like? Do I share your heart? Do I really just want my own name, my own resume, my own CV, my own power? Like, where is that in me? It's in me. It's in me. I've had, I've had to have this conversation with the Lord dozens of times. All it requires for you to need to have it is just a little bit of success. Just a little, like one or two good things happen. You start to go, oh, yep, right? Do you boast in self or do you boast in Christ? Are you bitter and in bondage or are you freely giving and receiving love? Are you concerned with self and ambition or with Jesus and his mission? What is it? Here's what I know. I know that we're post-pandemic. I know that we're all trying to figure out how to do church now. I know that your church is also passing the baton from one pastor to another. And I know that today and right now in this season would be a wonderful moment to focus on everything in here that doesn't feel nice. Please don't think that you're special because you have something in church that's hard. Us too. And the temptation for you, and I'm going to speak kind of prophetically over you for just a minute if you don't mind. The temptation for you is going to be to examine everyone else's heart. Oh, I don't know about her motivations. I don't know about, I, you know, I, we, I miss, the, I, I'm looking forward to, that is going to be a real temptation. And when you feel anxious and when you want to judge other people's heart, what do you reach for? Power. Don't. Because if you do, you won't have a heart like Jesus. And if you don't have a heart like Jesus, you can't advance the mission of Jesus. I speak now from a ton of experience about this because we're going through all kinds of stuff in my joint too. We just don't put any of it in the script. Right? Having a budget fight, eh, like we don't do that. Honest Instagram pastors, that would be really amazing. Uh, it would never happen. Um, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I have really good news for you. Image management is exhausting. And the acquisition of power is great as long as you're acquiring it and suddenly very not when you lose it. What if I told you there was a way that you could be fully loved and fully empowered beyond anything you ever imagined and it didn't require for you to earn it? That's the heart of Jesus for you. And so if you're locked in that like hamster wheel of 
just trying to earn stuff, trying to buy with your own efforts or with your own righteousness or with your own money or with your own whatever it is, the blessing of Jesus. <laughs> just stop, stop. You don't have to. It's already been purchased for you at a price far greater, with a substance far more valuable, the very body and blood of Christ. So Holy Spirit, would you help my friends? I thank you for reality. I thank you, God, for Pastor Rashad. I pray that as he's away, he's, he's being encouraged and filled with your spirit and filled with vision and filled with vitality in life. And Lord, I thank you that the greatest days of this house are ahead. Lord, I'm asking that you would fill me, fill us with the spirit to give us a heart like Jesus so that we Christians in the greater Boston area can advance the mission of Jesus. Do this in us and through us for the glory of your son. Amen.